morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We're going to talk a little bit about something that I have touched on multiple times in previous episodes. We're going to touch on a little thing called ESG. For those of you who are not aware of what ESG is, this is absolutely evil. The E stands for satanic. The or I'm, <laughs> I did it wrong. The E stands for evil. The S stands for satanic. And the G stands for, uh, I don't know, something else. At any rate, ESG actually stands for Environmental Social Governance. This is a, an invention of Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. You can't say that this is a conspiracy theory because they actually wrote a book about it, and Klaus Schwab frequently talks about it. And if you go to the World Economic Forum website, you can find information about it. As a matter of fact, if you go to the website of any major corporation right now, you will find something on their website about their commitment to ESG. ESG, Environmental Social Governance, is a repackaging of the Chinese social credit system. And a very good uh, article was written about it in the Washington Examiner, and we're going to cover that really quick today. And I'm going to spend uh, a pretty decent amount of time uh, in future episodes talking about ESG and its partner DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, because these are the current insidious enemies of the United States of America. These are the this is this is what gives the financial backing to the evil cult that is wokeness. All right, the evil cult that is pushing a foreign religion onto the United States. And make no mistake, wokeness, socialism, liberalism, progressivism, communism, whatever, fascism, Nazism, yes, those are both left-wing belief systems. All of these things are different names for the same thing. They are different packages for the same evil thing, and it is 100% a religion. Now, the article begins. The Wall Street Journal ran a deep dive article last week exploring how Bud Light blew it, but somehow missed the most important part of the story. Surprise, surprise, the Wall Street Journal gets something wrong. As most people already know, the world's most popular light lager, calling that thing a lager, is absolutely ridiculous, has been... I'm sorry, folks, but... I just can't. No, it is not a lager. I, I no, and and I don't drink anymore. But way back in the day, I drank a lot. I drank enough for, especially when I was in the service, you know. But I was picky. I was a picky drinker, and calling Bud Light a lager is a joke. <sighs> Sorry, has seen a collapse in sales. Following a boycott prompted by a March Madness ad campaign featuring transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney is not a transgender. As a matter of fact, apparently, he just recently came out as kind of straight. 
which is causing a whole other kerfuffle that we can get into in another episode. The journal's chart depicting the fall in Bud Light sales speaks for itself, and the company's delayed and tepid response to the uproar only seems to make matters worse. This isn't Anheuser-Busch's first foray into uh, controversial social issues. The journal's Jennifer Maloney points out that the company has been engaged in social engineering, or I'm sorry, social equity-themed advertising for years, including a 2021 Michelob Ultra ad featuring transgender rock star C.C. Telfer and a 2022 Bud Light Canada campaign for Pride Month displaying various pronouns. What Maloney fails to mention in her article is why beer companies, not just Bud Light, are suddenly courting controversial social issues such as non-binary gender, transgenderism, and third-wave feminism. And we've talked about this a lot, and I'm sure that a lot of you have been wondering, why does Disney... Well, Disney are ideologues. Disney are true believers in this uh, this whole social concept, the whole tearing down of Western civilization and Christianity specifically. So that's a different story. But then you've got all of these other uh, entertainment and uh, industry uh, groups, companies, and uh, other major corporations that are getting behind concepts that are extraordinarily unpopular and even offensive to the vast majority of people in the United States, knowing that this is going to cost them money. And the big question has always been, why are they doing this? They know this is costing them money. Well, we're going to get into that right here. And I've actually been saying this. It's just now put down in an article on the Internet. The answer is simple. The rise of environmental, social, and corporate governance as the dominant strain of stakeholder capitalism has incentivized corporations to curry favor with ESG ratings firms. Unlike traditional capitalism, which seeks to maximize profits by serving consumers, the ESG model seeks to, quote, improve, end quote, capitalism by considering other stakeholders besides investors and consumers, Publicly traded corporations are graded on how well they achieve socially desirable metrics, such as combating climate change, advancing diversity and inclusion, and creating a more equitable society. The question is, ladies and gentlemen, who is deciding what are these socially desirable metrics? Okay, first of all, talking about climate change, I have said this before, I am going to say it again. There is no such thing as man-made climate change. It does not exist. It never, ever has. If you go all the way back, I can remember all the way back to the 70s, where there was, I believe it was in Newsweek, an article about the coming ice age, and they were teaching us in schools that another ice age was coming. And then, of course, it never happened. 
and there was no evidence that it was going to happen. So what did they do? Well, they changed to global warming, went from global cooling to global warming. And then scientific evidence started to pile up that there's no such thing as global warming. So they changed it to climate change. Oh, so every time the climate changes, if there's too many hurricanes, it's climate change. If there's too few hurricanes, it's climate change. If there are blizzards, it's climate change. If there's not enough snow, it's climate change. So they can claim any, and, and what they have done, and this is a very, very typical tactic of the left, they either create a crisis, they create a real crisis, or they create an imaginary crisis. And then they present their solution to whatever crisis they have created, and their solution is always the same thing. The people have to give up their freedoms and liberties to a centralized government of unelected bureaucrats or elites of some kind, as in the people who are pushing, pushing ESG right now, the World Economic Forum. They are unelected. They just happen to be very rich people who believe that they should be in charge of stuff, well, because they're very rich. And they consider themselves smarter than everybody else. And so they believe that they should be uh, in charge of everybody instead of what we believe here in the United States, which is the government should leave us the heck alone. That the government has only very limited powers one of which is to protect the freedoms and liberties of the people. Well, our current government, ladies and gentlemen, is not doing that. Our current government is actually beholden to the World Economic Forum and is trying to deliver the United States into their hands. But that's a different story. What was intended to be a kinder, gentler form of capitalism, that's another thing. They always wrap it up in something with good intentions. This, this has good intentions. And because our intentions are good, you must do what we say. You must give up your freedoms. Your freedoms that you have are taking freedoms away from other people. They always present it as a zero-sum game. That if you have freedoms and liberties, that means you are taking freedoms and liberties from somebody else. So in order for that other person to have equity, you must give up some of your freedoms and liberties so that they can have more freedom and liberty. This is a completely flawed concept that was invented to push the... Uh, the the uh, to push the theft basically of money and of liberty and of governmental power and take it away from the people and put it in the hands of a group of unelected bureaucrats and or elites. Uh, let's see what was. Uh, intended to be a kinder, gentler form of capitalism has morphed into a kind of economic fascism. It is fascism, by the way. It is completely fascism. For those of you who believe that fascism is a right-wing uh, extremist 
governmental viewpoint, you don't know your history. The founder of fascism was a socialist by the name of Giovanni Gentili. He was the guy who founded it. Socialists founded it. And I've said this before, and I will explain it really quick again. The political spectrum one runs from one side to another, the right and the left. On the left is, and, and, and the, it is a spectrum of where governmental power rests. And on the left, at the very far extreme, governmental power rests in the hands of a single individual. And on the right, a monarchy. And on the right, the furthest extreme right, is that there is no government at all. Okay? Not that there is a, a socialist government, because there are a bunch of socialists out there calling themselves social anarchists or whatever, and they take the literal meaning of the term anarchy, which means without a king, and they, meet, they, they say, oh, well, that means that it's a communist government. It's a social... No, 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 no. A communist government is on the left because that, that communist belief, a belief in communism, is that the, uh, um, the uh, governmental power, in practical terms, government rests in the hands of a small elite. It's an oligarchy. And... Uh, I read a great article that indicates that no matter what type of government you start out with, it always dissolves into an, uh, an oligarchy. But anyway, on the furthest left, you have governmental power rests in the hands of one. When it comes to fascism, communism, socialism, those are just degrees of how much power an elite group has over the people. The further right you go, the more the power is vested into the group, the people. And the, the best form of government that has the least uh, tendency to fall into an oligarchy is what we have here in the United States, a constitutional republic. And the only reason we're in the mess right now governmentally is because we have turned our backs on the way that our country was designed. And we have changed it, both constitutionally and unconstitutionally, such that we now have an oligarchy. However, because we are designed as a federalist nation where the states have power and the people still have power, we are going to be able to change things. But again... That's a discussion for a different time. Just wanted to keep things in perspective here. This is an economic fascism that places the arbitrary interests of a small cabal of people, read the World Economic Forum, asset managers, bureaucrats, global financiers, ahead of consumers, read we the people. As the Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises pointed out, he is, by the way, a very brilliant person, or was a very brilliant person, and uh, a very brilliant writer. Consumers are the true bosses in a capitalist system. They ultimately decide what products are created and purchased, who becomes wealthy, and who becomes poor. And that's the way it should be. As the Bud Light fiasco shows, ESG places consumers in the back seat. 
The social equity campaigns are not designed to appeal to Bud Light consumers, but to the ESG rating agencies, that being BlackRock, State Street, and, uh, oh gosh, what's the other one? Uh, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. Vanguard. I thought it started with a C, but it starts with a V. But they both rhyme, so you can understand my confusion. Okay, I'm old, folks. <laughs> Birthday's coming up. Going to be 54. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. But consume, uh, the ESG rating agencies, which have the power to downgrade companies that fail to dance to their tune... This is a great deal for the ESG puppeteers. They can make multi-billion corporations move by the mere threat of a bad score, which gives them immense economic and political power. Elon Musk found this out when Tesla was kicked off the S&P 500 ESG index in May 2022, even though Tesla is an icon of sustainability. By January, Tesla's stock, which had been trading at 248 a share, had fallen by roughly 55%. To what extent Tesla's collapse in share price stemmed from the company getting booted from the, from the index is unclear, but the point is mostly moot. What matters is the threat of being singled out for an ESG transgression. What people seem to realize is that Bud Light's collapse in sales is not just a threat to Anheuser-Busch, it's a threat to the entire ESG model, which is my point. And this is a point that was actually made back in the 60s by a socialist. Socialism will never take hold in the United States because even the poorest person in the United States has too much to lose. Okay, Bud Light's implosion stands to change that perception, which is precisely why the ESG overlords are striking back. On Friday, USA Today published a leaked letter showing the human rights campaign had informed Anheuser-Busch that it has suspended its corporate equity index score, that's CEI, which is part of ESG, a tool that scores companies on their policies for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer employees. Anheuser-Busch had a key moment to really stand up and demonstrate the importance of their values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, that is the other part of ESG, and their response fell short, said Eric Bloom, HRC's senior director. One can almost feel bad for Bud Light, not really. The brand is caught in the middle of a larger war being fought by global anti-capitalists and the bosses of capitalism, consumers. We the people against the fascists, once again, trying to take over the world. Publicly traded companies should be allowed to go back to serving their real bosses, and they will. Consumers, which is why the rotten ESG model should be dismantled. Not only should it be dismantled, ladies and gentlemen, it should be made illegal. And the massive corporations, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, should be dismantled under 
um, oh, what is that? The, those, uh, the antitrust laws. They should be dismantled under antitrust laws and to the extent that they have violated the law, they should be investigated, prosecuted, and if convicted, sent to prison. These people are not kidding. This is nothing. It, ladies and gentlemen, the two major movers in this ESG movement are Klaus Schwab and George Soros. You can look this stuff up. This is not hidden. This is not a conspiracy theory. Klaus Schwab's father was a Nazi. An actual Nazi during World War II. George Soros worked for the Nazis during World War II. It is no coincidence that these two gentlemen, and I hesitate to use that word, that these two fellows are trying to take over the world again. It is not a coincidence. They see what they are doing as merely an extension of the war that started back in 1937. They are merely trying to... There's a reason why they are trying to destroy Russia. Because Hitler failed to do so. Because Germany and the Nazis failed to take over Russia before, so they're trying to do it now. Folks, the, 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 the military organization at the forefront of the Ukrainian military are openly Nazis. This is, this is documented. Again, not a conspiracy theory. So you have all of these people associated with Nazism, with fascism, once again trying to take over the world. In this particular case, what they are doing to the left, with, or I'm sorry, what they are doing to the West, a little Freudian slip there, what they are doing to the West with ESG and DEI and CEI, they are, it's just an insidious way of trying to civilly engineer the West and deliver the West over to a one-world government under their rule. Not a conspiracy theory. Look it up. These things are there. The World Economic Forum, go to their website, look this stuff up. They will tell you. Now, they, of course, will, will couch it and, and wrap it up in a pretty little bow. They'll make it look really nice. They'll, they'll, they'll put it in terms of altruism. They have such good intentions. I mean, who can argue with, with diversity and equity and inclusion? Those are such pretty words. But the way that we come about, the way that we get to those things is by handing over 
our liberties, our freedoms to this group of unelected elites. And they get to tell us how to live. Hell, ladies and gentlemen, they're telling us that we're not allowed to have gas stoves and ovens anymore with absolutely zero evidence of anything. They want, and and understand this, they want us poor. They want our society crime-ridden. And let me explain why they want us poor and crime-ridden. They want us poor and crime-ridden. They want us poor so we are dependent upon the government for everything. The government becomes our God. And the criminals, they want things crime-ridden because the criminals are their foot soldiers. The criminals keep control of the streets for them. And they don't have to pay the criminals that much because the criminals are stealing stuff from us. What little things that we have. Ultimately, what this is, 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 a, is a mafia model. And that's what it boils down to in its essence. And it's all wrapped up in, the, in a pretty package of good intentions. Quite literally, the old saying is the road to hell leads to good intentions. Well, that's, or I'm sorry, good intentions is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Get it right, Doc. The road to feudalism and and what they're trying to accomplish, uh, there are several scholars referring to it as neo-feudalism. That's what they're trying to produce again. And this is the road to feudalism, talking of, of uh, Ludwig von Mises. I think that was von Mises who wrote that. Hang on just a second. I don't want to give you bad gouge. Okay, got my, got my titles messed up and I got my foreign guys mixed up. Yeah, the book is The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich von Hayek, H-A-Y-E-K. Uh, the Road to Serfdom. And he is is also an Austrian, like Ludwig von Mises, an Austrian-British economist and philosopher who wrote that book in 1943. That's kind of interesting, considering we're going through a similar situation and a similar build-up. And, and make no mistake, folks, uh, you know, this is very similar situation to what we were facing Back during World War II, we're, we're basically facing the same bad guys, and the, the bad guys have the same goals. And, you know, this is the direction we're headed. And could it go hot like it did back then? Theoretically, yes, but likely no. Not in the way that it did then, at any rate. If it does go hot, it will likely be in small skirmishes. It's not going to be a worldwide thing necessarily. Um, but that's, again, that's a discussion for a different time. But theoretically, yes, again, we've got the same bad guys with the same philosophy trying to accomplish the same ends and trying to take over the world. And, and it, it's, 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 it's basically the same thing. 
Uh, they're just doing it a little bit differently. They're doing it in a more sneaky manner, except for what's going on uh, in Ukraine right now. Ukraine is the actual hot war. And you've heard people, commentators, talking about how Ukraine could expand into a world war. If it does, that's, then, then that's where it's going to start. It's going to start in Ukraine. And it's going to be because Russia finally gets pissed off enough that they're going to, that they're really going to bring the hammer down. But again, that also begs the question because our current federal government, our current leaders, uh, I hesitate to use that term um, because, well, I'm not going to get into that, but our current federal government largely is in support of this and they are in the pocket of the World Economic Forum and they are working towards the same goals. They are working towards trying to deliver the United States to the World Economic Forum. And they're working hard to do that. And uh, it's, not, it's not working out for them very well. And again, I've said this multiple times that I believe that it is that movement that is going to ultimately tear this nation apart. Uh, I believe now that uh, a national divorce is all but inevitable because of this kind of stuff. And because there are so many in the United States who have forgotten or foregone their moral compasses and the uh, morals and ethics and, and most importantly, the spiritual foundations of this country. Basically because they've turned their backs on God. Now, how that pans out, I've, you know, I've pretty much already discussed that. Uh, I think that uh, if the national divorce occurs, it's basically going to be in the form of the red states coming together and saying we are going to operate under the Constitution of the United States as it was formed or uh, and with you know uh, some new additions to it that are going to make sure that what happened to us the last time does not happen to us again. Severe limitations on the federal government. Um, and I think the red states are basically going to kick the blue states out. And I think the blue states are going to fracture themselves into blue counties and red counties, ultimately. And I think that the blue counties are going to get absorbed into... And I think the same thing is going to happen actually in Canada, too, I think Canada is going to fracture into red and blue, and I think the Canadian red is going to join our red, and that our blue is going to join the Canadian blue. Uh, that's that's pretty much how I think it's going to uh, going to pan out. Um. So there you go. That's that's where we are, and that's what this whole ESG DEI CEI thing is generally about. 
And I think I'm going to get into that even more later, into more detail, just to show you how insidious and evil this is. But ladies and gentlemen, we are not without hope. If we, in, if you are a Christian, we are not without hope, because guess what we can do? And, and any time that I am discussing a subject on this show, it is implicit that the items I am discussing are to be brought under fire with prayer. Okay, these are targets for us, for our spiritual warfare. So these mega corporations, Vanguard, State Street, BlackRock, those are corporations that you can pray about and against, that you can pray that the demonic forces lending them power are bound and cast out, that the Holy Spirit will cover those agencies or those people that will touch the hearts of the leaders of those agencies and people and turn those hearts towards God and individuals too. This is why we're supposed to pray for our leaders. We're supposed to pray that God touches their hearts and turns their hearts towards him. You can do this for, and, and, and you must do this for people with whom you disagree, for people who you are afraid of. You can pray about this. Uh, you can pray about this for Klaus Schwab. He is not lost. He is not completely gone like Darth Vader. Nobody is completely gone as long as they're alive. You got to pray for these people, folks, and pray about these organizations and pray about our federal government. You've got to pray that the demonic forces are bound and cast away and that the Holy Spirit washes over them, that the blood of Christ covers them, that God touches their hearts. Because if they are turned, it just like it says in the Bible, resist Satan. And he will flee. Our prayer is resistance. We don't have to be on a battlefield somewhere to change the world. As a matter of fact, a lot of times that's counterproductive. But if you're praying constantly, anytime the, anytime the subject pops into your head, that is not a coincidence. That's the Holy Spirit poking you and telling you, hey, you need to be praying about this particular person or this particular issue or this particular organization. You need to be praying about this. And I have said this multiple times on this show. If you are not praying and you are a Christian, you are wrong. You are just flat wrong. You are a useless soldier on the spiritual battlefield. You're just sitting there with your thumb up your keister, not doing your job. If you are not praying, you're wrong. Fix yourself. That's that's my that's my soapbox for that, folks. All right, I want to thank you very much for listening. This is a much shorter episode than usual, but I've said pretty much everything I want to say. I want to thank you again for listening. You can catch my videos because I do videos on stuff and, and a lot of the stuff that I put on the videos is not necessarily covered in the podcast and vice versa. So my videos are going to be on bitshoot.com, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E.com. 
rumble.com and odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com. You can reach me at Doc Bryant Show, all one word, at zohomail.com, Z-O-H-O-Mail.com, if you have any questions, comments, uh, or nasty things to say, or you want to argue with me, I always love a good discussion. I will not shy away from a good argument as long as it is an intelligent one. Uh, let's see. Oh, and you can get my podcast anywhere that you can get podcasts, uh, except for Apple. But Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, all those guys. Once again, thank you very much for listening. I will be praying for you, and I ask very much that you would be praying for me. Uh, oh, and if you get interested in actually supporting me for this, I will have to come up with a way that you can do that, because I don't think I have one right now. Uh, once again, thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you all later.